Earth, Alleluia, the Earth. The Earth, we're pretty sure, wants you. Yes, yes, the Earth does want you. And you, and you, and you. That's Savitri D, and I'm Reverend Billy. We're from the Church of Stop Shopping here in New York City, in lovely downtown Brooklyn. Welcome to the, the hour of dystopia, the end of the world, on the shopping week. Has shopping ever seemed stranger than this year? I was Unbelievable. wondering, are people still shopping? I know the economy is really strong, I can't believe but it. many people also don't talk about shopping anymore. We never hear about shopping. It's the Trump people. Well, not just the Trump people. It's the uh, suburbanites. The, I, 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 Say that again. Suburban. Suburban. No, I have, I have such an antipathy for the suburbs. I can't even say the phrase. I think they're out there at the, at the super malls. I think they're. I think. I think Black Friday's coming up. Cyber Monday. Giving small Tuesday. business Saturday. Giving Tuesday. Giving Tuesday. Give to me if we can get to Tuesday. <laughs> Amen. Listen, I think people are still shopping. This is Thanksgiving week, or as our Native American uh, brothers and sisters say, Thanksgiving week, um, and. We stop shopping. It's unbelievable to me. I'm having a I'm having having a shock moment. He's having a conniption. A shop shock. I'm suffering from shop shock. I can't. I just want to remind our listeners, this is the Church of Stop Shopping. We have advice for you about shopping. One is, do you need it? Why are you doing it? Where will you put it? What's your compulsion? What will you do with it when you're done with it? And these are some basic questions to ask yourself before you shop. Do you need it? Where will you put it? Are you are you willing will to you gnaw off your own it? arm to keep yourself from taking that product from the shelf? No. You wouldn't do that? No. Consumerism in the United States is an immersion, a built environment, a way of life for the individual, which in the act of the corporation devouring that individual becomes violent for others. Consumerism, the act of consuming by that individual, becomes large-scale destruction. The last I heard was that the consumers have consumed the consumers. And if we keep consuming the earth, the earth will consume us. Uh, Speaking of which, uh, our thoughts... With our friends out there in California wearing masks in their sleep because the air is so bad. So we remember oh, this California. in New York when uh, the towers fell on 9-11. The burning appliances, the burning rugs, the pollution, just the unbelievable toxic pollution floating through the air. So thousands of homes burned. We know what is poisoning the air of California is not just trees and brush, but is the... Uh, Pollution that the remains of those plastic pollution from the homes, from the highways, weird insulators, and anyway, our thoughts are with you. We have this wonderful quote from Joan Baez, who's been touring in California. She's been reading this past this thing she wrote. Billy, read it to us. Share it with us. Joan Baez sent this to us. We've been privileged to perform with. With Joan, it is a privilege. She's Let such me tell you. She an is artist, a queen. such a leader, a queen on this earth. This is a what she has been reading during her. She started touring the state as it burned. 
She lives in Woodside, California, and she's been reading this at her concerts. There's no such thing as a slow burn now, only lightning-fast destruction, floating ash. The haze is real, ash-filled smoke blanketing a good portion of the state of California. This is our Armageddon. I want to honor the terrible losses, the lives, peoples, homes, dreams, trees, gardens, bicycles, toys, goldfish, pet lizards, all the treasures of the children, and all of the animals, the wild and the not wild. We must be the fire brigade. Now is the time to be our brothers and sisters keeper. Now's the time to feed the hungry and clothe the naked. Now's the time to love. The only way we can fight a world on fire in the context of our crumbling democracy is by creating a mass movement from the grassroots up, walking the talk. And that means taking risks. That means finding the right organization to help you resist evil. That means going to your forward-thinking legislator and saying, yes, that was good, do it again. And ignoring all the so-called leaders who've betrayed us. And that means talking to your kids about truth and lies and about the Parkland High School student movement and about how they can have their movement, the children can have their movement too. So here we are tonight. By the grace of God and the accident of our birth, Let's make a promise to ourselves and our families that we will not sit this firestorm out. We will take the leap of faith of our lifetimes and then be true to our promise and to ourselves and to our children that we still have the possibility of a good life, a good life. Together we can create an unstoppable force for good. We need only begin. We must be the fire brigade. Wow, that's Joan. great. Joan Baez writing there to the uh, communities of California, some of them greatly affected by the ongoing fires. Um, I can imagine the comfort of hearing that Joan Baez is singing in your town, you know? Yeah. And and knowing that that in the midst of all the smoke and the rumors and have you seen our cousin and all yeah. that is going on and now the rain to know coming. that she's singing nearby yeah let's listen to a beautiful song uh the words written by woody guthrie and then arranged by billy bragg and wilco for all our friends out there in california california stars i like to rest a heavy head
<laughs> Billy Isn't Bragg and Woody Guthrie are like a marriage. I mean, they, they never met, right? But Billy Bragg has turned to some of all, you know, there are thousands of unrecorded Woody Guthrie tunes. And Billy Bragg has uh, made so many beautiful melodies from those from The those gift journals. economy across time, the ancestors give to us. Yeah. And then we do the best we can. Yeah, it's really with moving. With what we're given. It's really moving. And now we turn to the news. Time for the news from the natural world. Isn't that what they have on those? Welcome Savitri to News D. from the Natural World. I'm Savitri D. Amen. Eight couples from the migrant caravan in Mexico got gay married this weekend after traveling nearly 2,500 miles, braving nearly impossible conditions, weathering bigotry and betrayal from their own countries, and being labeled as criminals and rapists by the Trump administration. Pedro Nehemias and Eric Dubon finally had something to celebrate. They were the first of eight couples from the LGBTQ migrant caravan offshoot to be married in Tijuana on Sunday. Amen. On a call to news media Monday, Department of Homeland Security officials estimated there were close to 6,000 people in Tijuana waiting to enter the U.S., most of them members of the caravan. The combination of all groups trying to reach the U.S. totals between 8,500 and 10,500 people, according to officials. Two new studies suggest that rising autism rates might be connected at least in part to air pollution from traffic. They are not the first to show a link between exposure to pollutants during pregnancy and the diagnosis of autism spectrum disorders. But both studies look at large populations and find a link with relatively low levels of pollutants. China will expand its agricultural use of environment-damaging plastic film to boost crop production, even as authorities try to curb soil pollution, a government scientist has said. Some 1.4 million metric tons of polyethylene are spread in razor-thin sheets across 20 million hectares, an area about half the size of California of farmland in China. Okay, so half the size of California has plastic sheeting over it in China. Use of the translucent material may exceed 2 million tons by 2024 and cover 22 million hectares. U.S. agriculture also uses a lot of this polyethylene and other plastic. Uh, Here in the U.S., we use about a billion pounds of plastic for agricultural plastic. This includes films used for mulch, greenhouse covers, and to wrap bales, tubing, and pipes. It also includes nursery containers, pesticide containers, silage bags, storage covers, twine, and more. A company called Encore in Salinas, California, is now making reusable grocery bags from recycled agricultural plastics. Um, I was going to say, you know, to what extent can that plastic <coughs> to a very low be extent. created a very low to extent. compost? Uh, a growing and a problem that no one has paid attention to until now. Uh-huh. There's a lot of plastic. The twine is particularly difficult to recycle because it always has hay in it and grass. And From it has the bales. To be, uh-huh. It has to be cleaned by hand. <coughs> well, Crab fishers sue fossil fuel industry over climate change damage. Uh, this lawsuit by the largest West Coast Commercial Fishing Association seeks to hold 30 companies accountable for harming shellfish and livelihoods. Of humans, I should add, not the shellfish, as the ocean warms. 
None of the countries that make up the G20 group of major world economies is on course to adequately reduce climate change, with 82% of the bloc's energy supply still coming from fossil fuels. An international team has discovered a 31-kilometer-wide meteorite impact crater buried beneath the ice sheet in northern Greenland. This is the first time that a crater of any size has been found under one of Earth's continental ice sheets. The crater measures more than 31 kilometers in diameter, corresponding to an area bigger than Paris, and placing it among the 25 largest impact craters on Earth. The crater formed when a kilometer-wide iron meteorite smashed into northern Greenland and has been hidden since under nearly a kilometer of ice. Amen. Wow. The more sensitive people are to the bitter taste of caffeine, the more coffee they drink. The sensitivity is based on genetics. Bitterness is a natural warning system to protect us from harmful substances, so we really shouldn't like coffee. (laughs) Scientists say people with heightened ability to detect coffee's bitterness learn to associate good things with it. I can sh- and we become yes. bitter all day long? No, no. But I do associate good things with coffee. Like Me too. Me too. Thoughts, creativity, energy. Once an adult swift, that's a kind of bird, for those of you who don't know, the apus apus, uh, leaves its breeding colony and takes to the air migrating south, it won't touch down again until returning home to nest 10 months later. Common swifts are exceptional in their level of adaptation to aerial life. Foraging, sleeping, preening, and all other daily activities are performed in mid-air, day after day, week after week, month oh, after God. month. Ten months. People, the swift is that little bird that you see up in the air and they look like they're trembling their their wings look like they're they're like small swallows, and they're, they're they don't really flap their wings, they kind of shake. They glide in upward currents of warm air, and they ascend to very high altitudes each day at dawn and dusk, and then they basically spend the day coming down from the high altitude, doing all these things without touching the ground. <sighs> A comprehensive aerial survey of whales and dolphins off the coast of South Africa has recorded an astounding 1,106 southern right whales, including 536 calves, an all-time record. Tremendous. Oh my God, it makes me cry. Oh, that's wonderful. In the dry forests of northeastern Brazil, an area of 230,000 square kilometers larger than Great Britain is covered in 200 million regularly spaced mounds, each about two and a half meters tall. These mounds, known to locals as marundus, are the waste earth dug out by termites to create a vast network of underground tunnels. And some of these tunnels are 4,000 years old. The termites have excavated over 10 cubic kilometers of earth to build the tunnels and mounds, making this the biggest engineering project by any animal other than humans. Big factory ships arrive in the South Atlantic from around the world in search of the lucrative Patagonian toothfish. Never heard of it. Awaiting their arrival off South Georgia and the South Sandwich Islands are killer whales and sperm whales. The opportunistic hunters have learned to steal the fish off the fleet's long lines, and they'll go to great depths to do it. Researchers tracked one adult female killer whale to a world record depth of 1,087 meters, 
well beyond the previous best for a killer whale of 767 meters. I'm, well, so can you picture this? <laughs> can you picture this whale? That's more interesting. World record. Obviously. Okay. <laughs> That's one species examining another species. Okay. Humans. But still, one has to just regard the intelligence of the whales to like, figure out these long lines and then dive down and grab the fish. And it's so disruptive to the commercial fishing that the boats just have to pull up their lines and go somewhere else. So, I'm glad. You know, we're, we're celebrating the whale. Good news from the whale, at least in, this, in the southern hemisphere. They're multiplying and they're clever. <sighs> That's the news, people. I tried to get some good stuff in there because things are so dark and it's Thanksgiving week or Thanksgiving week, depending on your perspective. Um, I'm m- greatly disturbed by the amount of plastic being spread across the entire earth for agriculture. But uh, other than that, you know, we have some good news. You know, when you think about it, the the um, we think of the fire in paradise and elsewhere in California, and how in that smoke there are carcinogens, plastics, and so forth um, that then come into the bodies of everybody. Um, but the shopping is a kind of burning. For instance, the big box stores put everybody in cars and trucks. And we burn a lot of fossil fuel to get to this uh, shopping experience. Also, sh- the, 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 the shopping itself has a kind of mystical burning quality. It burns your time away, and then you don't get that time back. <laughs> and the plastics uh, in the displays and the, and the fossil fuel that is all around shopping. And never mind uh, the production. I mean, never mind that the production of those objects, where shipping, they were made, and then the shipping of those objects, and then the packaging of those objects, and the repackaging of those objects, and so. then the unpacking of those objects. It's, it's staggering. And consumerism really is still, you know, the most significant contributor to climate change. There's no way around it. There's it's no way driving consumerism and population growth are, are driving. Well, they're um, married. I mean, that's a driving. They are married, but capitalism makes it much worse. Capitalism is a cancer. Consumerism is the cultural arm of capitalism, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that intensifies the burning. Mm. The burning as a metaphor, burning burning as a way of looking at uh, at shopping is. Well, it's interesting. It reminds me of the time we spoke to our friend Rick Anderson, and he talked about fire as technology, you know, which is so obvious. It's the original technology, right? And you think of burning, you think of this relationship to fire as this most original thing that humans ever did, right? Was to, well, Mm -hmm. language, I guess, language and fire. These are the things you look at and you think, wow. We, we wouldn't be human without these things, right? And then after that, we have tobacco and herpes. Let's call our, our, our guests, shall we? We will talk today to Charles and Dulcie Ford, who live in rural Colorado. Uh, they are um, radicals of the of the homestead they're the modern homesteaders and they're finding ways to live with the earth with their children uh, Phoenix and Cassius and we look forward to hearing about their life strategies in this particular time when 
the basic experiment of living just seems to be failing us and failing the earth. Dulcie and Charles, welcome to The Earth Wants You. Uh, we're so glad to have you with us. I know you're talking to us from Colorado today, and we always start by asking our guests if you could just describe your favorite place on Earth. Wow. Dulcie, <clears throat> favorite place on Earth? Wow. That's a, that's a challenge. Um, favorite place You guys on live Earth. in paradise. I just think that's a difficult choice for you. I'm going with next to Dulcie is uh, my, the, my answer to that question. Uh, wow. That's nice. You saved wow. yourself, yeah. Lucky ducky. I was a, just imagining a a treed arroyo with a little creek running down the, oh. the uh, center of it with some birds flying around. But no, that's nice. Next to Charis is also <laughs> Throw me in there. Oh, yeah. That wow. sounds like a description of Charis. I think that you... you you, you, you said, I want to live next to Charis as well. Dulcie, when you said that, I thought of the acequias in New Mexico, and I could hear the sound of the acequia, and I was like, oh, gosh, I smell the cottonwoods. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in the fall, when everything, oh. when the sky is so blue and the leaves are so yellow, that's one of my favorite places. If the two of you need to cry and sob and retch a bit right now, that would that makes good radio. Go I ahead. I can always cry. That would make a little better film. Hallelujah. Um, We're, I, I would say, yes, near running water and trees uh, is definitely going to be right up there in the My Favorite Place on Earth uh, description. So we, I think we're there. Loved ones and, and, and the solitude of a... Of a of a, a riverbed somewhere sounds really good to me too. But that is exactly where you are. You are with each other by a river with a tree. I mean, Ooh. so yeah, you know, <laughs> we are pretty damn close. We are not sitting next to a river right now, but we are looking at fourteen or fifteen, maybe a dozen, fourteen thousand foot snow covered Rocky Mountain peaks right Ooh. now. The sky is blue. Uh, there's nothing but trees and forest and birds to be uh hold and so it is a very beautiful uh slice of natural world that we're experiencing right now well you know those of us who are living in the city we uh we have a generalized uh dystopian imagination and um especially after maria and florence and michael and malibu and paradise just recent developments we uh we're thinking when we get a little bit drunk at the end of the day we think well where are we going to go? And what we, what we say to each other is, up, higher ground. Uh, 14,000-foot-high, snowy Colorado peak with blue sky. That's where we're going to go. You know, I think that, uh, what are you going to do if we all show up? You know, what are, we're, yeah. we're escaping. All our power stations are down on the, on the rivers and oceans. And we're on our way t- to, you know... We'll just knock on your door and say, "Can we can we put up a little geodesic dome over here uh, in your backyard?" Yeah, yeah. I think that sounds like a really good idea. I mean, it's a great it's a great question. Um, it's it's like this the, the idea of dystopian, uh, like an urban like urban refugees, but and yet the other side of the coin is this idea that to live uh, sustainably on Earth with population, you know, large population numbers like the Earth now is experiencing that urban living is the 
answer. So it's an interesting uh, double-edged sword, isn't it? It is. I mean, I, I think one of the things we lose, though, in, in an urban setting is the is the knowledge, right, or the skills of how to live. Um, and then we rely so completely on, on governments and corporations to provide for us, right? So one of the things I admire about you two and the life you live is that you you really take the time to learn those skills. After Hurricane Katrina, when I went down to New Orleans, was that there were people who didn't own a hammer. Wow. Oh, yeah. Right? So that's an extreme example. But here in, in New York, after Sandy, we had similar things where people not only didn't know how to use tools, but didn't own any tools. And I just wonder right. about your perspective on that. I think what's the old expression, there's uh, knowing what you know, knowing what you don't know, and not knowing what you don't know. And I think that, you know, uh, ever since Dulcie and I were very young, uh, both uh, watching our parents live kind of back to the land uh, practices and ethics and values as young adults, uh, you know, being back to the landers ourselves currently up in the mountains, we are more uh, removed in some ways from a from a survival or self-sufficiency uh, oriented um, reality just because you can't grow as much when, it, you know, when you have a short growing season. And One of the things I like about um, living up here and in a year has been kind of this um, closeness to the weather, you know, and uh, mm. uh, we're warm when we burn wood and when we go out and get that wood and, um, we also have the opportunity to kind of feel um, just comfortable in the cold. And for me, that feels empowering to kind of, I think we spend so much time in these um, kind of air air conditioned and heated spaces that the outdoors can feel scary and intimidating. And so mm. that's one of the things that feels it's just a nice feeling to know that you you know what the weather is and you have the clothes to feel comfortable in that weather. Um, whether hey, my or not Japanese you're... friend has this great saying that her father, who was like a you know self-proclaimed samurai, would always tell her, "You know, there there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing." Ooh, I like that. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> I know what you're talking about, Dulcie. I I remember especially when I lived in Montana, I had this feeling like. I was so much stronger. I felt so much tougher, you know, the way I could handle the weather and the weather just didn't bother me. It just doesn't get to you. And you realize, you know, obviously you probably shouldn't drink so much that you pass out on the street at night, you know, or go (laughs) up into the back country in the middle of winter by yourself. But I mean, in general, you're not going to die from the cold, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's a sensation that you have to cope with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have to keep, we have to keep ourselves tough somehow. But we have 70 million people looking for a place to be right now in the, yes, on this earth. Yeah. And we have no real um, leadership in the area of population control that I know of anywhere. It's, it's remarkable that we're already approaching 8 billion. No one yeah. thinks it's a good idea that th- really thinks about these things, who tries to measure what we have in terms of eating and consuming, uh, but nobody's really stopping it. Uh, so yep. th- we're we're now experiencing in the Trump era. Even if it wasn't Trump, we would have we would have this pressure from everywhere to get out of places where the climate has destroyed the ability to raise food. Yep. And we have twenty five cities now of twenty million or more. Uh, 
we're just we're just uh, we're just going into a time when you start thinking about what is the scenario here. Uh, yeah. Fahrenheit 451. Is it skin of our teeth? Is it the road? Is it the Handmaid's Tale? Is it Brave New World? What what's right. what do we got going on here? And then you are parents of children, and, and so are we. Um, all of a sudden, you know this consciousness. All of a sudden, you look out at the future through your child's eyes. What 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 do they see? Um. <clears throat> Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel for all the kids, I guess. I feel for, um, you know, suffering uh, all over. And so I don't I don't feel worse for my kids than I do for any other kids, I guess. So mm-hmm. I kind of feel like, well, we're all in this together. And it's more, for me, of a big picture of wanting the best for humanity and wanting to see humans... Um, thrive and continue in a, in a, in a peaceful manner. So I feel like more than focusing on personal suffering, that just kind of focusing on how can we, um, and and I'm kind of a, uh, even though I have an urge to kind of want to set off on my own or be, try to separate myself from the system, I, I feel like ultimately it is, civilization and systems that probably will be the difference in our success or failure more than personal success or failure. So I kind of a um, believer in being able to turn the ship around somehow and, and have create systems or improve our systems so that they work for us and, and then they'll work for everybody. And um, that uh, suffering like the Buddhist day is, is always a component in life. And so we're not going to, erase suffering um but that we could create systems that are gonna be more harmonious with the earth i mean it's interesting because you you two live right now at least in a place where the scale is is such that you are reminded of your scope right you are reminded by those those mountains how small you are and you are reminded of your place your relative position on earth amongst other creatures and amongst other land forms. And um, it's so interesting because in New York, you know, human humans are so dominant and it's, mm. it's the this, this chauvinism that hu- humans start to exhibit or, uh, you know, myself as someone coming from a, a wild place from rural places, you know, I'm, I'm so aware of it. I'm so aware that there's no check on the humans here, right? <laughs> except for weather, yeah. except for disaster. Hurricane um, Sandy yeah. kind Which of is, is how we humbled end up us. relating to these to the earth is in terms of hardship only, right? And we don't have those other relationships with the earth, which which actually um, promote so much care and so much stewardship. You know, watching the seasons change, you know, in a field or by a stream or you yeah. know in a in an orchard. Um, so I, I just think about that a lot, and I also think you know it's interesting to think about children and and whether or not people should or shouldn't have children and I and I always think that it, children are sort of independent of us too right like I I'm a mother but I'm also a witness to this life yeah. that has nothing to do with me at a certain level it's like I'm going to raise her of course I'm going to give her everything I can but she is also her own life and I have yeah. this interesting 
and growing fascination with that independence, right? And so when I think, oh, can I or should I or should I not have children? On some level, like, is it up to me? You know, <laughs> which is like a big spiritual question, but I I just wonder about it, you know. And I and um, I well, know. when the city's in flames and that's really incoherent. the floods up above the house and <laughs> will Lena blame us? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's more the like first place she goes with her. It's more like I was. I saw this show once where you know the whole show is about this guy. He's he's he knows he's going to die, and he says, "I want to take someone with me. I don't want to die alone." You know, he keeps asking people like, "Will you go with me? Will you go with wow. me?" Wow. And they're like, "No, man, I'm not going to go with you." And he's like <laughs> shocked that his friend won't go, and his brother won't go, and his mother won't go. <laughs> you know. And the thing I realized watching that show is like, yeah, we're on some level we're, we're alone. Right. Each yeah. each one of us is alone and how we make these yeah. decisions alone becomes like our moral kind of, uh, you know, our existential question. Right. And yeah. I think it's true of our ch- our children. They are also alone on some level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a question about um, I mean, I feel like the the thing that we're missing as a culture is this is like moving our ethics from. Um, into a post kind of religious, ethical, moral, moral framework into this larger kind of more universal or environmental, planetary, moral framework. And I'm curious, because um, you guys travel a lot and interact with a lot of groups, like what are you seeing in terms of creating new moral frameworks that have you feel optimistic or hopeful? Well, we, we, uh, Sabtri, jump in and interrupt, of course, at any point. But I, I, I think that in our travels this over the last year to London and Zurich and Athens, California and the, and the Midwest, um, there is a, a hunger for an, 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 a, a good ethical way of life going forward into a difficult terrain people are aware of time and they're and they're trying to sort out what's good and bad and as things shift and of course we get up in front of them and sing and shout and dance and pray and then when we pray we explain that we fired the patriarch and (laughs) and that he's drinking over in the corner moping and uh uh we're we're traveling now from the 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 god of judgment to the goddess of justice mm. um and and so we just kind of leave the door open just a little bit for a a return um as injured as we are by religion uh which is the first corporation after all uh but just to open open that door again and say that we can do this, we can do this without the patriarch. I mean, there's definitely a hunger for it, but I would say that in in my experience, uh, capitalism leaves people so destabilized and so defensive, and really in a kind of survival mode that yeah. it becomes impossible to really, um, to to really create new space around these things. So you do see in certain cultures, like either by um, just true hardship can like amplify all of this and push people through to really prophetic states, I think. 
um, some of which can be dangerous, but some of which are really like herald a new time. Um, but I think also you see in places like England and the UK, I feel like because of the the safety there, really, to be honest, and the and the comfort to some degree, um, they are kind of discovering new language around storytelling and 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 narrative making and and uh, rekindling old practice and old tradition that that in a, that, that, that were spiritual practices, right, and taking them into the radical space. So you do see that. You also see a lot of young people, and I'm sure you've encountered this too, who are really. Um, you know, you see it in anecdotal ways like witchcraft, right? Like a lot of feminist women like joking around about which I'm a witch and I'm my coven and all this. And then you realize it's not it's not a joke at all. Right. Like they really it's a true and real impulse. And it's something that we should honor more and not treat as like just like a style. Right. Um, so, I mean, I am seeing or or people's return to like plant medicine and and, and yeah. the ayahuasca traditions, the, the visionary kind of uh, uh spirit guide traditions. Um, I do see quite a lot of that in the culture right now. Um, but whether or not it, it persists through like the, the capitalist vice, you know, like is, is pretty, is hard to, I don't know. It's hard to see its outcome and it's hard to see its connectivity. Right. It seems like there's like these little pockets, like bubbles of it. We have to have the faith. Savvy. The walls will come tumbling down. <laughs> we saw some pretty heavy stuff go down environmentally here this year and 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 perhaps it's my own filter you know um Dulcie and I both raised by hippies you know and the the old uh, the old uh, adage or the new adage which is the hippies were right i mean the environment uh has truly taken a hit and you know there's a lot of things that that the hippies have been and for that matter the the, the land-based stewards of uh, and the and the mothers and the healers and the pagans of of old uh, also said these things and um, and one of the things that we experienced as young kids of hippies was kind of sitting at the foot of people who were saying things like it's all going down you know uh, you know these 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 uh, bastards can't keep this you know, rack it up much longer. Mm -hmm. And so we were raised through that uh, narrative. And as young kids, we didn't see anything going down, you know, it didn't (laughs) didn't seem like they were right. Uh, And yet we did get the values. We did get the, the, we understood the truth of what they were saying, but there were others who said, eh, whatever, uh, you'll geezer or you coot, you know, I'm going to go get a job at, at, uh, you know, first national bank and, and get a, get a nice car and an apartment and a big TV. And, and I don't see anything going down. And, and I think it's a slow kind of geologic time or glacial movement, but in fact, uh, it is going down or it seems to be, and I'm looking through that filter and this year, um, a waterfall in the mountains that has reportedly never gone dry uh, on record or geologic records since the last ice age dried up this year. Oh. And the bear and uh, mountain lion and deer were coming down to people's bird baths, you know, coming down into town, into the, you know, to the stock tanks that had been, you know, put there for the cattle, uh, all the little ponds dried up. Um, we had, you know, wildfires raged. It was what, for me, you know, perhaps, you know, 
being anxious about apocalypse, if you will, or environmental collapse uh-huh. and being anxious about that, being, you know, kind of having that potential or that concept kind of preloaded by my hippie parents and, mm-hmm. and, the, and, and the values that I've, you know, my back to the land urges were largely informed by, hey, man, you know, if you can't take care of yourself, you really are putting yourself in a vulnerable position. Um, and to watch the earth do this thing mm-hmm. that was so intense, it was like, wow, we couldn't actually sustain, survive two more of these, you know, oh, the, tr- the plants the themselves. Yeah. Uh, my observation were that plants like juniper trees oh, and pinyon trees, things that you think of as not even needing water, yeah. were dying because they weren't getting enough water. Oh. And it's like, wow, two of these. And now this is one, you know, bioregion, obviously, that we're in a high desert. Uh, but drought uh, for the West as we see with the fires in California and such, uh, means, means death to living things, to large numbers of living things. And we survived this summer. You know, it was like, we're going to make it. You know, there weren't these reports of large population collapses of animals. Uh, the trees, by and large, made it. But, there, you know, there's some die-off for sure. But you recognize how vulnerable we are to the... The to, to the to the I shouldn't call it the whims of nature because I think we've aggravated the hornet's He's nest. <laughs> but yeah. Not a whim anymore. <laughs> we are we are vulnerable to it, and it was scary. I mean, I truly was scary yeah. this this summer. Yeah, we have an old relationship to drought. Humans, you know, all kinds of things kick in in your body when there's a drought. All kinds of sensory awareness and keenness and and fear and you know and it's real yeah. primal fear and you should be afraid with there's yeah. a drought it's heavy there's a lot going on the earth is talking there, to us but i know there are things people can do what are they charles life alleluia life alleluia let's hear it well i mean i i just take a great deal of inspiration from the number of young farmers that we see kind of coming out of the woodwork and and finding ways to either buy land or share property with others or bring, you know, fertility to the lands that aren't being farmed. Uh Um, There's a beautiful little town uh, that we love that's not far from here. It's called Paonia. And there are all these young people. It's a very local food-oriented community. And uh, not just young people, actually old farmers, uh, people whose branch families have had ranches for decades, and there's a sense of people pulling together to create more community and more uh, uh, of a local food security. And I just think it's a model that really could sprout up in the suburbs and uh, mm. you know neighborhoods of America. We think of ourselves as so isolated, but when we reach out across the fence line, if you will, I think there's we can turn on a dime. I think. That's for the right. better. Change is dynamic. Love hallelujah. Change is dynamic. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> Amen. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, thank you. Guys. Thanks, Thanks for, for talking with us. Welcome back to the Earth Wants You. I'm Savitri D with Reverend Billy. We're here um, by nothing week, Thanksgiving week, thanks taking week. Uh, please. Write to us, communicate with us. We want to hear from you. And now it's time for Extinction's Got Talent. And today, the least bells vireo, a shy, secretive, and silver-tongued songbird. The tenacious least bells vireo has been to the brink of extinction. 
It is federally protected. And there has been an important surge in the least bells vireo population in Southern California, but the bird remains susceptible to habitat destruction from urban development, overgrazing, and electric power lines. The decline of the least bells vireo is due also to brood parasitism by the brown-headed cowbird. Uh, consideration of Bells Vireo has been a factor in several land development projects, including a huge movie lot on a wetland that Steven Spielberg wanted to build, but backed out of to protect the habitat of the least Bells Vireo. And hear the sound of the least Bells Vireo. Silver-tongued bird, indeed. Oh, it makes you really sad Sweet. to hear the that lovely song. Sweet. To think of the uh, innocence of these little birds. They're just a couple. They're so tiny. Now. How they survive is beyond me. Rev, take us out. Talk to us. I'd like to talk about here in conclusion a an aspect of the burning of the shopping. Uh, I, I think it's sometimes overlooked because we, well, I call it the great misnaming. A family explodes in their fiery car in Paradise, California. And investigators don't find anything afterwards. Some bone chips and dental work. And then the president calls this the result of bad forest management. Or uh, another example of the great misnaming, the burning, the shopping. A wedding in Yemen is bombed. And the families and friends are killed and the bride is killed. And maybe you rem remember this, a photo circulated widely around the world of a boy clinging to his dead father. And the fighter planes are made in the United States and the bombs are made in the United States. And then this is misnamed, this is called defending our national interest. I'd like to just think a moment about bad forest management, one lie, and then a second lie defending our national interests. Misnaming as an old tradition in politics. It's come to this, this level right now where it's, it's absurd. It's as, as if gangsters uh, that have gained control of our government are studying the surrealists. They are tricksters professional tricksters. 
but they are tricksters that run the Pentagon. <laughs> Amen. That's a disquieting thought. Misnaming is, is reverse naming, inside-out naming. Certainly, we think of the Trump era this way. I believe it came from shopping. I believe that Trump is a kind of product line. Consumerism is an immersion. It's a built environment. We are pummeled by thousands of marketing lies all day long. It's constant. It's gotten worse with the little screens in the palms of our hands. And we call that normal living. Actually, it's very recent in our evolution. It just happened in cultural time. But we, we just go through our day and, and try to have original thoughts, try to have our own values, try to hold on to what is right, try to be clear in our conversing with our children, with our neighbors, with our associates. Think of the challenge of just getting through a day in this, in this place that we've allowed to develop in this way. It's not just the Fahrenheit 451 with, with, with the need to memorize all the books. It's, it's the need to memorize what it is to be a good person, to be a clear person. So when Joan Baez says, it's up to us to help each other now, we really have to go deep to do that. We have to remember what it is to help. Because on our way to reaching our hand out to help someone, our hand and our mind in that moment of that gesture will be buffeted by corporations that are devouring us. What a time we live in. It doesn't seem like such, such when you think about it this way, it doesn't seem so amazing that we are killing life. That we are attacking every day our ecosystem, our bioregion, where we live, so that we will not be able to live, to breathe, to eat. But you know, in the gesture of helping, of being of service, of being a good friend, that is the revolution. Earthalluia. That is the moment of turning the corner on this thing. And ironically, that is what we fall back on when these disasters take place and FEMA does not show up. Each other. That is the beginning of changing our government. That is the beginning of changing this dystopian burning of fossil fuels. That is the beginning of having the courage to throw our bodies across the pipelines and the oil refineries and the things that are actively killing us. We have that in us. It's not gone. We can start doing it right now. Earthalluia. Earthalluia. Thanks, Rev. That was beautiful. Wonderful words here. Thanksgiving week. What are you grateful for? Who are you going to thank this week? What are you going to thank? And don't forget to thank yourself. <laughs> like Snoop Dogg did yesterday when he got his Hollywood... <laughs> Star. What did Snoop, do? <laughs> Snoop said, 
thank me, man. Thank me for working this hard. Yeah. Thank me <laughs> for working all day and all night. Thank me. Thank me. He has trouble giving himself credit sometimes, Yeah, I think he? so. We're happy that he's broken through. Bless you, Snoop. You teach us all. Have a great week. Good luck with uh, Black Friday, people. We'll Don't see you on shop. the other side. We'll talk about it. Don't shop. Oh, no.